Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I want to invite you to take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, as we come to the conclusion of our study of uh, the wearing the armor of God, being battle-ready. Trust that it has been helpful for us in the realization that, that we are engaged in a war. The last several weeks we've considered this and looking at the importance that as believers we're to be warriors. That a good soldier of Jesus Christ is not going to expect to find ease in this world, but understand that we are on a battlefield. And we come to the final piece of armor that is provided, and it's the one offensive piece of armor, the, the sword of the Spirit. And what I want us to consider this evening is being skillful with the Spirit's sword, recognizing the importance of this. We, we have looked at the various aspects just reminding us of the warfare in which we are engaged, that, that we are in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy. That enemy is attacking, that if we seek friendship with this world, we, we are joining with the enemy. That every day we're going to either see victory or we're going to suffer setbacks. The armor supplied reminds us of the daily battle that we face. That the battle isn't physical, but it's spiritual. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. But it's a spiritual battle, so we need spiritual weaponry. God wants us to be victorious. And we will only be victorious as we faithfully ponder and practice biblical principles. And so the importance of knowing the Word of God and applying the Word of God. In Ephesians 6, the admonition is for believers to stand. And recognizing that we have a supernatural adversary, therefore we need the, the weapons that are supernatural. So if you have your Bibles open, follow with me. We're going to look again at verse, verses 14 through 17 to give us the context to see where we are in this passage. But as it says in verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation. We'll stop there for a moment, though the last piece is still coming, and you see that in the rest of the, this verse. But just to be reminded of what we have considered, that the armor supplied not only reminds us that we are in a battle, but each piece, as well as equipping us, instructs us concerning our adversary. And so we need these pieces. We need the belt of truth to battle error, and we need it personally to battle dishonesty. The breastplate of righteousness because we, we have a wicked enemy. The enemy is wicked. The readiness of the gospel of peace that we're, we're ready to share the truth and in so doing there's an, actually an aspect of protection as others know that we are believers. And understanding this, the shield that trusts God against Satan's lies. The shield of faith. That we understand that there are going to be those attacks. And then last week we considered the helmet of the hope of salvation and, and understanding the confidence that we have. That the process of salvation, that we are first of all justified, 
that when we, when we turn from our sin and trust in Christ alone, that, that we are justified, we have new life, new birth, born again, these terms that are used, that we are, we are freed from the penalty of sin, that when you are saved, that's in the past. We are being sanctified, that's in the present, that we are being freed from the power of sin. And so we're to be putting off the things that are their characteristics of the former manner of living and put on the new life, being renewed in the spirit of our mind. And we anticipate then that time when we will be glorified, the glorification in the future when we will be freed from the presence of sin. And so there's that hope that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Christ when it's complete, when we are glorified that that is God's purpose, that we will be like his son and we can trust him that he will bring it to pass. And so as we come to the final part of verse 17, we have, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now it's an interesting statement. The, the, the soldier's sword, as it's being mentioned here, and understanding this aspect, that the, the weapon would be illustrated by that sword. The, the, the Greek had two words, different words for different swords. One was a very long sword that would be three to four feet long that would be used with both hands, often used by somebody on horseback. And we mentioned this when we were talking about the importance of the helmet and protecting the head and, and guarding against that. But the word that is used here is a different type of sword. It's a shorter sword. It'd be about 18 inches long. It would be kept on the belt and it would be used in that hand-to-hand close combat for that protection. It's a Greek word that's used for that short 18 to 24 inch weapon. It was the principal weapon in that close combat. It would be carried and it would be ready for use when necessary that it could be pulled out. It was a a sword that had two edges. It was a two-edged sword. And it would be used more for stabbing blows than for the, the swinging of it. And what we find is this is really the only offensive weapon that is provided. The other weapons that we see mentioned here are defensive and, you know, we may look at prayer as being an offensive weapon. I, I tend to view prayer as the attitude that the armor is listed and the attitude with which we are to use it is the attitude of prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watchful to this end with all perseverance for all saints. And so the attitude is one of constant praying. But we see this being an offensive weapon. But notice what it says. It is the sword of the Spirit. This is the Spirit's sword. And there are several things that I think are helpful for us in understanding this. First of all, the Spirit is the source. That when we understand that it's the Word of God, well, the Spirit is the source. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction or training, is the idea there, in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we'd looked at verse 15, it really gives us the the reasons that we have that Scripture is given. The, The first one being Scripture is able to make you wise to salvation. 
through faith in Christ. So, so faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And then in these verses, we see that Scripture equips us for spiritual maturity. It tells us what's right, that, that instruction, the doctrine, what's wrong, reproof, how to get it right, correction, and how to keep it right. For our attitudes and actions, belief and behavior are summed up in these verses. And so we see that it's the breath of God. It's the Spirit's sword. We see it as well in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. It, it's not of man's doing that they didn't just come up with it. But verse 21 says, For the prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It'd be like that ship on the ocean, and the breath of God is moving it where God wants it to go. It's, it's the Spirit that is doing this. What we see is the divine source of Scripture, that it is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. John Wesley put it this way. I like, like his, his quote. He said, The Bible must be written by God, or good men, or bad men, or good angels, or bad angels. But bad men and bad angels would never write it because it condemns bad men and bad angels. And good men and good angels would not deceive by lying about his authority and claiming that God wrote it. So the Bible must have been written, as it claims to have been written, by God, who by His Holy Spirit inspired men to record His words using human instruments to communicate His truth. That it's holy men of God who spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we see that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, is the source. The second thing that we see is the Spirit is the teacher. That the Spirit guides us through the Word. And so in John 14, verses 16 and 17, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him. For He dwells with you, and He will be in you. That the Holy Spirit, is, as this is the time when Jesus is telling his disciples he's going away, their concerns, he tells them, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe in me. And, and then he gives them this comfort and says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will send a comforter to you. And he will teach you. It's the spirit of truth, and the world cannot receive him. We see this as well in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, <clears throat> these things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so as I said this morning, it, it's, it's unwise to take spiritual direction from unspiritual people because they're not being taught by the Spirit of truth. And the understanding of, of how important it is, because the Holy Spirit teaches and guides us, that as we get into the Word, the Holy Spirit directs us to what is God's truth. And we compare other things. And then the third thing that we see is that the Holy Spirit empowers. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5, or 1, verse 5, it says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, a church he wanted to go back and visit, but he, he couldn't because of the hostility and primarily the hostility of the, the Jews there in Thessalonica. In fact, he had to leave the city. He goes to Berea, and he says those in Berea, the Jews in Berea were no, more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica because when they heard the word, they received it not as the word of men, but searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. But there were people in Thessalonica who did receive the word. There were Gentiles that received the word. And so Paul's writing to them and saying that you, when we came, it was not in word only, but it was in power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. The gospel didn't just come with words. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that takes the word of God and applies it to the heart so that faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so our responsibility in giving the gospel, my responsibility in preaching, yours in sharing the truth, is to seek to make the gospel understandable, to make the, the good news understandable. It's the Holy Spirit that makes it understood. It's the Holy Spirit that enlightens, that causes a person to understand how it applies. I've, I've used the illustration before, but, but it helps. And, and many times I hear testimonies. And, and when we talk with those in our doorway fellowship class and, and asking about their testimony, and, and I, many times I've heard people say, well, you know, all of a sudden it just clicked. Or it was like a light went on. You know, I'm, I'm reading, I'm hearing, and it was like this light went on and I understood that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We call it illumination. But it's when it clicks, when the light goes on. You know, it, it doesn't all of a sudden get power, but the power comes to bear. The authority of God's word is impressed upon that person. The illustration I've used is if you're driving down the, the 202 and, and you're going along and you pass an unmarked police car. And all of a sudden, the lights go on. And it clicks. Now, did he just get power at that point? Did his authority just come at that moment? No, it just came to be applied at that moment. That's illumination. And that's really the idea here. That the Holy Spirit, the power, the authority comes to bear that that applies to me that I didn't see it in the same way before. That just looked like an ordinary car before. But now I realize it's something different. Some people read the Bible and say, well, it just seems like an ordinary book. No, when the Holy Spirit turned on the light, they realize it's something different. That this is a different book. It is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And while it might be a defensive weapon, it is offensive as well. Therefore, we have a responsibility to take the sword. That is your responsibility. That is mine, that we would skillfully handle the spirit sword. We see this especially, the sword, of, the scripture is the sword in, in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews 4, we have a, probably the fullest description 
of what the sword does, the power in this, this verse, this passage. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And and you see in this verse that picture of this two-edged sword that is used for stabbing. But we see several things here. That Number one, it's alive. That can't be said about other books. God's Word is alive because its author is alive. Now, in our culture, when, when we hear people talking about living documents, that usually means they want to change what it originally meant. They don't want the author's intent. They want to change it. But when we talk about God's Word being alive, we're talking about it's going to apply as the author said. That it's a living living book. That, That God is the author. It's the Word of God. And He is skillfully wielding this sword as it is presented. And so we see that not only is it alive, it's powerful. That it's a living and powerful word. The, the Greek word that is used here is the word from which we get our English word, energy. You know, some things are alive, but they're not very energetic. You know, you want to check it for a pulse, poke it to see if it still moves. God's word is powerful. It is alive. It's energetic. There's vitality. And sometimes a person says, well, but I, I've tried to talk to somebody and they don't believe the Bible's the word of God. What should I do? I had somebody ask me this recently. I said, give them the word. I said, it doesn't matter what they believe. It's the word of God. That's like me saying, well, I don't believe that gun is loaded. What I believe doesn't change whether or not it's loaded. And if it is, the power is still there. This is God's word. It's alive and powerful. Give the word and allow the Holy Spirit to pierce to the dividing asunder. Because God's God's Word is going to accomplish its purpose. It says in Isaiah 55, verse 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, without fruit, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. God's Word is powerful. The third thing that we see in this verse, though, is it's penetrating. It pierces. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing right through to the soul and spirit. God's Word goes down into the very depths of our, a person's being, to, to parts that we really can't identify. Okay, where, where does the soul and spirit, how do we separate? It pierces there. God knows. You know, it'd be interesting to spend time here, but that's not my, my purpose this, this evening, but rather to see that the, the Spirit makes it apparent when we're not thinking like a spiritual person. When we're in the Word of God and submissive to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit helps direct our focus, our thinking, that, that we understand properly, that, that biblical wisdom is thinking God's thoughts after Him. It's applying God's Word faithfully. So back in Genesis chapter 3, when when Eve is in the garden, and in verse 6 it says she looked on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she perceived that it's good for food. 
and it was good to gain wisdom. But that was wrong because it was not for food. It looked nice, but God said, you shall not eat of it. And the temptation was, Satan said, you will know good and evil. God wanted them to know good from evil and make the right choices. And that's why we come back to unsaved people, backslidden people, are going to have trouble perceiving things spiritually. Eve should have trusted the Word of God. God said, you shall not eat of it. And God's Word makes clear when we're not thinking properly. And so we see it's penetrating, and then there's a perceptive aspect. It's judging, it's discerning, it it discerns the thoughts of our hearts. God's Word critiques our thoughts and our intentions. Do we really have the right motives? It judges our actions, our attitudes, our performance, our inner life, and our outward behavior. That's why it's a mirror. And it's interesting to do the study of the pictures that are used in Scripture for the Word of God. That it's a mirror, that we're to look into it, and, and we're to change according to what we see. But understanding that, that it's going to pass the judgment It passes infallible judgment on our hearts as humans. And that is exactly what we need if we're going to be protected in the spiritual battle. Because the attacks of Satan are those fiery darts and his lies. And if we're not careful, we'll start believing those lies. And we say, well, we just have to have an open mind. No, open minds are like open windows. They need screens to keep the bugs out. God's Word is that screen. It protects us from the attacks, from that which will corrupt. But we have to be skillful then in handling it. You know, because our tendency is to rationalize. To rationalize sin and disobedience or to shift the blame. That's what we see Adam and Eve doing back in Genesis 3. And recognizing that this is important, that we would apply it. Now, understanding what the Word does, why do we sometimes have difficulties? And in the next chapter of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 5, we find the reason for that. There's a number of problems that are mentioned here. He said, I I wanted to write to you. I have many things to say. The author is writing and saying, I had um, many things to say to you and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, And you have come to need milk and not strong food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of a full age. That is, those who by reason of use have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. And so we see there are several problems that can arise if we're not careful. One one of the difficulties in handling the sword is a lack of listening says, seeing you are dull of hearing. That, that they, they just weren't really paying attention. So, so is the problem with the teacher or the recipients? Obviously with the recipients. The teacher was giving the truth, but they were not receiving it. That there's a, there's a process that play, takes place. And, and this is why we see Jesus saying many times, he that has ears to hear, 
let him hear. He's saying don't, don't lack in the area of listening. That, that don't say... And now, it's interesting because when we read these verses in, in Hebrews chapter 5, and, and the author is saying, you know, the problem is you've become dull of hearing. Do you think those reading or hearing that letter for the first time thought, yeah, that's been my problem? I think they were probably shocked. What do you mean it's my problem? And, and yet that's really what we see. I doubt that they thought the problem was with them But that's what's being explained. One commentator put it this way. Some Christians flip from Bible study to Bible study, from sermon to sermon, from commentary to commentary, while gaining little more than a nice feeling and some good ideas. We have to allow the Word of God to be impressed upon our hearts. Don't tune out the Lord. So Jesus said, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. There was a lack of listening. The second one was a lack of skill. He says the time has come when, when really you ought to be teaching others, but you need someone to teach you again. To go back to the first oracles, those first principles, the basics. Saying the, the, the milk rather than the strong food. Now there's a time for milk, and we need that, as babies need that, and they need to grow. But you want them to come to a place where now they're having solid food. And the same thing is true with with how we handle the Word. That there's a lack of skill. And so it says in verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the Word of righteousness. See, the sword can deflect the attack, but it has to be handled with precision. We have to know how to handle the Word of God. And so that means we have to know the Word. We have to be in the Word. Say, well, I, I didn't have the privilege, the blessing of growing up in a Christian home. I, I didn't go to Bible college. I don't have the, all of that. But what are you doing to change that? Because you have the Word of God. My wife and I were talking with somebody recently, and, and it was fascinating. The, the questions they were asking showed a real depth of understanding of the Word of God. And I, I, knew, I knew some basics about this person's background, and it was a pretty rough background. My wife said to them, did, did, you have a, a, did you go to church as a child? Did you? And they said, no. They said, I didn't have any of that. What had happened? They had dug into the Word of God. They had become skillful in handling the Word. That they can rely on Scripture. If, if we just rely on feelings to get us through, we're going to be in big trouble. If we don't know God's Word well, we're going to struggle. And that's why it's important to go through the Word and say, yeah, but I forget it. Yes, but as we go through the Word and God's Word goes through us, it has that strengthening and cleansing effect. And we have that great opportunity. And so as 2 Timothy 2.15, the verse that we use for Awana, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, accurately handling the Word of Truth. So we grow in our skill in handling the Word. But I think an important area is that there can be a difficulty in handling the Word if there's a lack of submission. And we see that in verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of a full age, that is, those who by reason of practice, reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What does that mean? It means when we know what is right, we choose to obey. That we exercise in the areas we do know. 
When I, when I would work with young people, especially when I was a youth pastor, and many times I'd get questions, what's wrong with, and then you can fill in the blank. You know, this entertainment, this music, this situation, this activity, this place. And, and I'd say, you know, I'm more than happy to discuss that with you. But let me ask you this first. Are you seeking, are you trying to obey in the areas that you do know? Because if you're not trying to obey, then really you're just wanting more information that you can discard. Because biblical discernment comes as we exercise to discern good and evil by reason of use, making the right choices where we know to make the right choices. And as we do that, we grow. But that means we're coming in submission to the Word of God. See, the Bible won't help if you don't, if you, it won't help you if you read it, but you don't heed it. It's not enough to read, we have to obey, we have to heed. And, and that's really counterintuitive to the spirit of our age. The days in which we live are, are we want to be the judge. And if I hear something from God's word I disagree with, and I've had people say, well, that's your opinion. No, that's what it says. And, and saying, what does, just read the verse. That's what the verse says. That's what the context says. But that's, that's the spirit of our age. The, the book, The Day of America, told the truth. They said, whenever we want to an answer a question of right and wrong, we ask ourselves. What we don't do is what people have done for a long, long time. Take counsel and advice from our religious and political authorities, from the press, from our schools. Now, I'd recommend not taking advice from those <laughs> I'm not looking to the press for my advice. But it is interesting, we look to ourselves as the, the resource for knowledge. No, we have to look to God's Word. But that means we have to be submissive. The Bible is only useful to me if I hold it in high esteem as the Word of God. That we receive it as it is in truth, the Word of God. If I think it works for everybody else, but it doesn't apply to me, then I'm not going to have a weapon that I can use. If I dismiss statements of the Bible saying, well, I'm the exception, I'm going to have cracks, chinks in my armor where the, the enemy will attack. If we determine we know better than the Word of God or that it doesn't apply to us, we're going to be in trouble. So these areas are, are going to be difficult. And then there's a fourth area. And that really comes to the area of a lack of specificity. That God's word actually needs to be specific. There's two Greek words used for word. The one we're very familiar with is logos. My Bible program is logos. It's speaking of the word. But there's another one, the rhema. And it's interesting because the, the word rhema refers to a specific passage or word. So in Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the rhema of God. The word of God, but the specific aspect. So it's not just, okay, read the genealogies, and you'll come to saving faith. No, you'll come to realize people die. You'll, you'll realize a number of things, and it is probable, there's reason for that, but there's specific aspects for the gospel. It isn't just any portion of Scripture that brings a person to saving faith, but it's understanding how the gospel points to Jesus Christ. 
And so when Jesus is talking with the religious rulers, he said, search the scriptures because you think in them you'll find salvation. They point to me. Well, they didn't find salvation because they rejected Christ. But saving faith isn't just believing the Bible. It's believing what the Bible says about who God is, about what sin is, about salvation through faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. That Christ died according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, as it is recorded. That's, that's the rhema. That faith comes by hearing the rhema of the Word. And so understanding this. The, now, the Bible is a logos. We, we've got in our hands the logos. It, it's, it contains 1,189 chapters. Over 31,000 verses, 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. That's the Logos. And each of those books is actually a Logos. So Ephesians, that, this letter is a Logos. The Gospel of John. And, and so the word Logos would apply to those. It's the full word. And understanding the value of that, that, that it's all the Word of God. Scottish pastor Thomas Guthrie said this, The Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, a balm for every wound. Rob us of our Bible and our sky has lost its sun. But to truly be victorious, we need the rhema. We need to have those specific words. It says in John 6, verse 63, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The, the rhema that I speak. So I, I say that. So when we come to Ephesians six seventeen and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which Greek word do you think is being used there? It's actually the word rhema. If we're going to take that short sword and go into battle, we need to know specific statements. Because when the temptation comes, I need to know where to go in God's Word. You need to know, and you need to know the areas where you're battling. It's not enough. If you get sick, if you're physically sick, you don't just go to the medicine cabinet and just kind of empty it. I'm going to take all of this. You know, you, don't, you shouldn't do that. We might do that, but that's probably not the best idea. Yeah, well, whatever it is, I, I don't feel well, something here will work. No, you want to know specifically. Sometimes I'll go to the medicine cabinet and my wife will say, what are you looking for? I said, I don't know, I'm looking. She said, well, what's the matter? I said, okay, you need this. This one will help. Like, okay, I want something. If you want victory over sin, you, you can't say, well, I just need to find a verse somewhere. No, you need specific verses for that area. You know, what battle are you facing? If, if, you're, if you struggle with, whole, with having a, a spirit-controlled temper, if you tr- struggle with losing your temper at home or with your kids, having a big family Bible sitting on the coffee table is not the answer. In fact, that might be a weapon. Don't do that. You need Proverbs fourteen twenty nine. He who is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Or Ephesians 4, 29 
Let no corrupt communication, unwholesome word, proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for edification, to impart grace to the hearers. And when Jesus was tempted, he used the rhema. In Matthew 4, 4, it says, And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If Jesus, the Lord, used the sword of the Spirit to defeat Satan's attacks, how much more do I need it? And do you need it? To have a firm grip on the sword of the Spirit. The, the promises that were given. And, and folks say, well, I don't ha- know it that well. We are, we are a tremendously blessed people. We have God's Word in our language, in our hands, multiple copies. I probably have two dozen Bibles in my office and more at home. I have, have books that I, I have Bibles that I'll mark in. I have my preaching Bible that I don't mark in. I got a big, a larger print so I can read it. I have it on my phone. I have it on my computer. Do you realize the blessing we have that so much of the world does not? Last fall, uh, some of us were in Washington, D.C. for the American Association of Christian Schools convention, and, and Pastor Nathan had worked it out where we could, we could go to the, the Museum of the Bible. And it is an amazing place. There are a lot of exhibits. So you could spend a long time. We only had a couple hours. You could spend days there. There is so much to see. But one of, the, one of the exhibits that caught my attention is we went into this room and they had shelves lining this room. They had, they had all the languages that have copies of the entire Bible. And they have copies of all of those Bibles in there. And then they had those that have just the New Testament. And every book on that shelf is a different language. And they only have the New Testament. But the one that caught my attention was this one. Because it says in, on the, the blue screen there that the translation of in, into these languages has not yet begun. You've got five bookcases with multiple shelves and many, many languages represented. And the last two, the two on the far right, are restricted access countries and languages. They don't have any of the Scripture translated into their language. And we have it available to us. So we have access. What are we doing to grip that sword? You know, do we look for areas where we battle? And I would encourage you to find the rhema for the area. If you, if you battle depression, Psalm 42, 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of my countenance. Anger. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Lust, 1 Peter 2, 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Anxiety, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. Fear, Psalm 56, 3, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Priorities. Matthew 6.33, what we've considered for our goal for investing for eternity, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Do, you. do you have rhema for areas where you struggle? 
to find that as battles come, as those fiery darts come, that you can take the sword. When you're attacked by doubts, that you can stab. And taking that sword. It says in in Psalm 119, verse 128, Therefore I esteem all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. That's bringing our, our hearts into submission to the Word of God. What God's Word says about everything is right. And I'm going to love His Word and hate false ways. This is where we have to start. Because all other ideologies are going to be danger, dangerous. And when it's the world's ideology, we have to hate that false way. Now we have to cast down those philosophies, those imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. But we do that through the Word. So how skillful are you with the Word? Do you have a grip on it? Are you daily spending time in in God's Word, but not just reading it, meditating upon it? Because in His law we meditate day and night. We allow it to to saturate our lives, our minds. No believer has an excuse for, for not being in God's Word. Christ's sheep hear His voice. They know His Word. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. We have an offensive weapon. And if we neglect the Word, we do it to our own peril. We do it in danger for ourselves. Because there is a battle that is raging. Are we skillful with the Word? I'll close with this story that I came across a number of years ago. There was a a park ranger who told the story. He was working in Yellowstone National Park. And he said that there was a ranger that was once leading a hike. And he was taking a group of hikers. They were going up to one of the outlooks, one of the fire towers there. And and he was so intent on telling the the group that was with him about the flowers, about the animals, the the different things there in the park, that that the two-way radio was really annoying him. And so he turned it off. Because he didn't want to be distracted. And as they got nearer to the tower... One of, one of the other rangers came running down out of breath and said, why have you not responded to your radio? And it was because he had turned, them off, turned it off. And he said, there has been a grizzly bear that has been stalking your group. And we were trying to warn you of the danger to make you aware of what was going on. Are there times we turn off the radio of God's Word? Anytime we tune out the messages that God sends us through His Word, the written Word of God, we do it in peril to ourselves and to others. It's important we never turn off God's communication. That I esteem all things, His Word concerning all things, to be right. All His precepts. And reject every false way. So that we would take the sword, the sword of the Spirit, and wield it faithfully that we would be victorious in our Christian life. Are you victorious this evening? If you're struggling, take the sword. God's given us what we need for life and godliness, and it comes through the knowledge of Him, and that is revealed in His Word. Let's pray together.